Welcome to Work is Good, a CSM podcast. My name is Landon Buto, and I host the show with my dad, Chris Buto, the owner and president at CSM. We are back with another conversation with Philip Meach of Cafe Luso, and this conversation will be really interesting for anyone who's curious about the process that coffee goes through for, to get from the farm to the grocery store where you pick it up, and especially regarding the certifications that go on a lot of the coffees you see in those stores. Uh, Philip has some strong feelings about the validity and and the value of those certifications and uh, what that process could look like and should look like and offers an interesting perspective on what to look for. So please enjoy today's conversation and remember that if you're interested in getting a mortgage with our team at CSM, go to clevelandstreet.com. All right, I am back here with Philip and we uh, are neck deep in a heated conversation here about uh, coffee certifications. So, Philip, I'm going to make you um, walk back a little bit and kind of give some give some context for me and, and for the audience, because for me, you know, walking to the grocery store, you, you just see a whatever organic fair trade certification sticker on a coffee bag. And, you know, there's there's some basic assumptions I can make about it, but I don't know all that goes into that. So just give me a context of the conversation here and then, and then let's get into your thoughts here. Yeah. So there's all these certifications in coffee. Like I I mentioned uh, earlier, like there's probably at least a dozen and the ones that most people are familiar with is probably like certified organic, maybe certified fair trade, maybe Rainforest Alliance or Shade Grown. And then there's some obscure ones like from the Netherlands, like Oots Kappa. And there's industrial certifications like ISO 9000 or ISO 14000 about um, health and human safety and sanitation in production facilities and manufacturing processes and, and whatnot. There's certified rain fed, like that's a thing. Sun dried is a certification. Like there's all kinds of sort of bizarro stuff like that. And who do you trust? That's, that's, that's kind of the question is, if you're going to make a moral play when you're in aisle 4B at the grocery store and you want to buy some coffee and you're like, well, this one says if we buy it, uh, you know, somebody gets an extra free pair of shoes or this one over here means there's nothing harmful in it or this one over here. And it's like, if it's just one product like coffee, like we were talking, like no problem, but how much time do you have to do grocery yeah. shop? I mean, when you're in every aisle yeah. and everything you pick up, if I buy this sour cream, the ducks are going to live longer. And if I buy yeah. this sour cream, I don't know what the connection is between ducks and sour cream. It's just like to make it ridiculous because a lot of it is. And so what's the whole thing here is like, if we stamp six certifications, then you buy this product and you're saving the world. Is that the idea? Or you're going to sleep better at night because you're doing your part or, or are you honestly just trying to like, Hey, I'm sensitive to chemicals. So I really want to make sure there's no chemicals. You know, I mean, there's certainly a sanitary. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, like I get it. Um, it's probably reasonable point. reasons to do it and, yeah, and not so, so reasonable. Um, the thing is like where it, like this is just old commerce tricks so fair trade let's pick on fair trade it's finally sort of dying finally but like 
we turned down a multi-million dollar annual contract 20 years ago because I wouldn't play that game because I know too much about mm. what happens at the farm. So, Mike, flesh that out. What what was the opportunity? What did you have to, like, why wouldn't you do it? What was involved yes. with saying yes? Yeah, so we were roasting at 3,000, 4,000 pounds of coffee or, or actually 3,000 or 4,000 ba- 12-ounce bags of coffee every month for a co- for a national chain you have probably shopped in or your wife in the last week or something like that and we see that was all of 2013 uh no 2003 was 20 years ago and so we were producing for them three four thousand bags a month they loved it it was selling well buyer flies up from headquarters and says hey can you do seven times this amount can you do thirty thousand bags a month Wow. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that's just sort of, there's no big jobs, only small machines. You know, it's an old RG Letourneau quote. quote. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, we we can do that. We have logistics. We have great, um, you know, processes and systems. We have a cool fulfillment partner. Like, everything's fine there. We can get the coffee. But, like, do you know, is it actually 30,000? Or, like, oh, yeah, it's just, we'll be be up or down 3%. All we're doing is scaling you from 17 stores to, like, 150 or something like that. And it's, like, we we just know that's what the number is. We like your coffee. We, You know, and I'm, like, well, you know, I hear these pro, who makes the best truffle in America? Probably somebody's grandma in Kentucky or whatever, (laughs) with old stove, like, you like there's people yep. that can make the good thing, but they don't have logistics and deployment. They're not, you know, kind of on the yeah. supply chain and the business thought they can make a cool thing, but like they just, whatever, they don't have the infrastructure or the experience or the discipline or whatever the problem is. So we had all those pieces, but I, I still said, like, I hear about small mom and pop vendor and they get into some large national retailer that rhymes with yeah. Walmart. And all of a sudden, they're, they grow. They literally grow themselves into bankruptcy because they have to go get a $2 million, $5 million loan, build out a new plant, do all these crazy things. Then the margin squeeze shows up six months later, a year later, and I'm like, I don't want to play that game. Yeah, yeah, Reese, that's a huge growth. Yeah. I mean, you want a $5 million company that makes 2% profit, or do you want a $1 million company that makes a 30% profit? Like, you got to pick your business goals and think about those things, but there are tons of companies that have literally grown themselves into bankruptcy. Right. I think that was an old that might have been an old Brett Baker um, life experience share. He did mention he was, that on Boston about Boston Market. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So he mentioned that on the podcast. Yeah. So we're thinking about this deal and and they're like, no, 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 we don't change your margins. We'll do we'll work out whatever terms we need to. We just need you to scale and produce. And so we're you know, we're three hours that the buyer comes up from headquarters in, in California and we're talking about this deal. We go and we look at our fulfillment partner and everything is great. I mean, he's, I made him a cappuccino and the guy calls his wife on the spot in Luso 2.0. We're in 3.0, 3.5 now, headed to 4.0. <laughs> and he said, I just had the best cappuccino of my entire life at Luso. They're better than anything I had in Italy. Like he's excited. Awesome. excited. Wow. Everything's looking, you know, it's all I know. And he loves the fulfillment partner. He's like, great. Somebody's thinking about supply mm. chain infrastructure and systems and processes. And, you know, this is going to be great. Well, somewhere in, in that time, he says, oh, and by the way, this is really important for us that this is certified organic and fair trade. And I'm, I, I just, my heart sunk because mm. I'm like, we're, after all costs, we're making like a buck a bag, which isn't much. 
but when you're at 30,000 bags a month or more, yeah. and that's just the beginning. And when you're 26, I'm like, what am I going to do with 30 grand a month? I don't know if I was making 30 grand a year. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to buy my mom a new car. I'm going to get my friends in the yep. first condos. You know, just yeah, that's a life change right there. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a bit of a game changer. So, but I knew how it had, you know, how things went down at the farm level. Mm. And I knew that farmers weren't getting near what people thought they were. The co-ops were getting a stipulated pay. So um, what is the, so, so fair trade specifically is what you're thinking of right now, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair trade. Organic. I mean, there's, there's, there's so, some dirt, dirt and grime in all the certifications, but let's just pick on fair trade. So what's um, the, what's the disparity between you know, what people think it means and what it actually means. A lot of the literature at the time would talk about how the, the, the futures price for coffee, so export grade on the New York Board of Trade called the C contract that expires, and I think it's the third Friday every quarter. And at the time, because it's denominated in U.S. currency, so like at the time it was probably like 60 or 70 cents a pound or whatever it was. This is not, it's coffee that's legal for trade. I don't know if it's coffee that you want to drink. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, well, in the fair trade system, they're like, the minimum price is $1.26 a pound. I don't know how they came up with that, but it was presented mm. in such a way to the consumer that you're like, wow, we're in this global, there's a glut of coffee, the supply is too high. So magically, don't ask me how this works. The supply is too high. So the price is really low. And there was too much coffee being made in the world. Warehouse stocks were too high. Crops were too high, you know, all that. Hmm. But everybody just hears like, wow, it's 60 cents and every farmer is in abject poverty, which is true. Many farmers are in subsistence living. That's true enough. Yeah. But they're like, you're just going to make the price $1.26. So when you ask what's the problem, people are looking at that going, well, $1.26 sounds, yeah, that, that's fair. That's better. Ooh, yeah. That's, that's what it should be. I don't know why. Why wasn't it a dollar sixteen? Why wasn't it a dollar forty six? How'd you How'd you get? Yeah. Nobody, nobody questions. So that. the idea is, yeah, we we support you know fair labor by setting this subjective minimum price, and yeah, like sub- every econ student should be like going bonkers right now because sub- guaranteed subjectively, yeah, are not well. They're not durable. They're not tenable over time. Trying to have this mist, this Peter Pan land where you disconnect supply and demand in the marketplace. Look, if Governor, who's the Governor of Washington, um, Inslee, if Inslee shows up at Luso and says, "Let's do an audit of your costs." Aha! It is six dollars to produce a roasted pound of coffee, or after marketing labor and whatever, maybe it's an eight dollars, or maybe it's five, or what, it's some number. Let's just say that it's $5 for a roasted pound for this type of coffee with these inputs. I'll give you $5.50, he says, for every pound of coffee that you can produce. Okay, is the econ like maybe 200 level, 300 level theory of the firm. What, what's the first thing that we do? Well, if you're going to guarantee me that you'll just buy whatever I produce at a cost um, that is, or at a price that is higher than our cost of production, that roaster spins 24 hours a day. Mm. you don't you no longer have the idea of excess capacity because if you are capacitating (laughs) i went to wsu so i get to make up words for the rest of my (laughs) life my english is a little anyway um 
Like you can just like, why wouldn't we start doing that? Mm. Why get bigger roasters? So the question really yeah. is, so where does that go? And I would I would postulate that you cannot do this. David Copperfield, let's get away from reality and make things appear and disappear. With if you're trying to disconnect from supply and demand, and you'll guarantee that you will produce higher than the cost of production that that producer just wants to produce. I would I would submit to you that that cannot function over time durably without an element of either philanthropy or theft or a mix. Yeah. So the 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 fair trade though that is it's not necessarily it's not like a government induced requirement. It's just this subjective idea that if you want to be part, if you want to have our sticker and tell consumers that you're paying farmers properly, then you got to subjectively meet this price. Um, there are non, there are third party, they're almost like big NGOs. There, there are third party okay. certifiers that have their own list of criteria. Um, and you have to do some crazy digging to find out. I mean, nobody's going to go through the 1200 pages to figure out why they're setting prices the way they are, what the restrictions right. are. I've heard that some fair trade co-ops were closed down for super shenanigan practices. But like mm. if Landon rolls up to the co-op because Landon grows coffee and Landon says, hey, I'm here. I've got 100 sacks, quintales, 100 pound sacks of my parchment coffee. You know, it's been depulped. It's not cherry, but it's seeds with a, uh, you know, a silver skin. And the co-op can literally say, we'll buy 10 of those bags at the fair trade price. So here's an extra nickel a pound. Cause that was another part of fair trade is like once the, once the market, the supply and demand curve got hit a dollar 20, dollar 25, then the fair trade price would forever ride at five cents above market. Hmm. Which is also super just bizarro land. Like, well, it's only when it hits a dollar twenty that it rides at five cents. Why isn't it when the market's at eighty cents? Why doesn't it hit? You know, all yeah. these questions about CV peak cost volume profit analysis just kind of out the window because you're playing in this boogeyman world, this bizarro land. And at the end of the day, the consumers are all hoodwinked and they're like, "Yes, if I buy this, I'm going to sleep better tonight. I'm going to save the planet. I'm going to save humanity." Right. No more effects of the fall in six months. Everybody's going to be prosperous. Woohoo! Yep. And um, and you kind of feel for the plight of the consumer because it's like, well, who do you trust? You want to make a good purchase decision. So there you are in aisle four at Whole Foods or whatever. And here's all these marketing claims about the product. This one, I don't know, is better for your liver. And this one is more energy. And this one is lower caffeine. Right, and right, right. Yeah. A thousand um, certifications. So do you do you trust the third party non so-called nonprofit stamp from this government thing called fair trade or what about organic? So that's a government that's a USDA and FDA and in, in our state, Washington, that's a Washington State Department of Ag thing where they supposedly have some some analysis of, of the supply chain. But we've seen so much dirt and grime and, and shenanigans mm. in that that. I yeah. Mean, I'm all for buying organic produce, as I said, but like, good luck. Like it's probably half the time something that's organic is actually organic. Yeah. Okay. So, so if, uh, if anyone was kind of on the fence before, got a persuasive pitch from you there as far as the, the real meaning of the fair trade label, um, what, what is, 
so what is your process i guess you know that's a, like yeah, that's a good question one last and, um, and you might need to fill in a little bit just the coffee process the the just very generally speaking um let me let me come back to that yeah. in a second I have go for to it. Call it so when people are like yeah you got to buy fair trade coffee nobody stops and goes fair according to who mm-hmm. what do you mean by fair yeah what's what's, what's what are going to work with definitions here is this objective enough that people can examine this thing or is it, are we just going to be kind of squishy like yay for celestial tapioca you know but like do you are you just going to keep existing with the backbone of a jellyfish or yeah, yeah i mean the connotation it. right away is it it gives more to the people who need it is basically what it communicates in you know just in our minds just kind of intrinsically but you know you don't ask beyond that yeah same like, thing with organic like what's fair yeah who are they taking from in order to give their you know where, where is it coming from mm-hmm yeah, what's organic exactly? Like, which set of chemicals are permissible? Which set of pesticides, insecticides? What about nutrients? I mean, it's such a big, once you get a peek under the rug, it'll make your head pop and be like, whoa, I think I'm just going to avoid all of them. So to to wrap up this, this little section, I've told people forever, probably, because I do feel that sort of plight for the consumer, but I would say probably the best thing that you can do is buy the best quality product that you can, that your budget allows for. Because nobody gets away with crazy stuff over a long enough period of time. Landon, right now we could put together a little investment company and go buy 10 coffee farms in Panama and go down there and say, how do we jack the yields up like crazy? And how do we Mm. short all the labor? And you'll get away with that for like a season. Yeah. But those nomadic pickers that you know, hit the neighborhoods, hit the cities, and then they go on to the next farm. If you're running a bogus operation, you think they're going to stick stick around? I mean, they might if they have to, or they might till the next right. offer comes along or, or something of the, of the sort. But you won't get away with it over time. And that is why I say, like, just try to, I think a, a, the best safety net that I know of that is broad and minimal information is buy the best quality stuff that your budget allows for. And if mm-hmm. you buy that over a long enough period of time and you see there's consistency probably the supply chain is not super crazy or as bad as it could be hmm. yeah so, so yeah yeah helpful so quality stuff best quality stuff let's say it's you know it's it looks quality it's not it's not got one of those stickers on it though um what what is the process to get to that point where i'm seeing it in the grocery store I'm not, can you clarify your question a little further? What, so if it's not, um, if it doesn't have the the fair trade certification, for oh. example, yeah. um, d- describe the general, you know, farm to grocery store process. Yeah, yeah. And then also, okay, so, yeah, how, how it works along the way when it's done right. So coffee is the biggest beverage industry on the planet besides water. Like it's bigger than tea, it's bigger than all soft drinks, it's bigger than wine, it's bigger than all alcohol combined. I mean, it's it's huge. It's hard to get wow. your head around. Yeah. So because of that, yeah, there's like eighteen thousand models out there. I mean, you could have coffee from a from out of the ground and have six or seven, eight layers of trade. So the farmer, 
grows it and picks it. He sells it to a guy on the truck, right? Stop one. Somebody's driving around. I'll buy your coffee cherry. Here's cash. Give me the cherry. Then he'll sell it to uh, some other local buyer or a consortium. They might sell it up the chain to a national buyer. That national buyer might run it through a miller. The miller will do certain things to finish that pr the processing and then grade, sort, screen, polish, pack and wrap, the palletize on a boat, the whole speech. Now it goes to a global brokerage of distribution. Now it might go in country somewhere and then it might end up at a roaster and then a retailer. So you, you see where I'm going? Like, yeah, yeah you could you could have like 10, 12 steps. Yeah. Of hands, of hands in the pot. So we do what is commonly now called direct trade or direct relationship, which is not the most helpful term because it is not regulated. So anybody could just say it. Mm. So I kind of like it because it's not regulated and I kind of like, well, yeah. we can also abuse it pretty easily. Yeah. The idea is for us is that we buy Farmgate. We, we know the grower. We send the check to the owner of the farm. Or maybe there's one layer, but there's still context for relationship and we can go and go to the farm instead of like, so American business selling coffee, I'm going to fly out to Pennsylvania. I'm going to wear a suit. I'm going to stay at a hotel. Everything's arm's length transaction. Thank you, IRS. And like, yeah, I'm just going to, it's just business. Well, you fly down to a farm in Nicaragua and the family will pick you up at the airport and mm. the roads are awful so you get like self-chiropractic all the way back to like the farm <laughs> just riding just hold on and you but you're gonna you're gonna stay in their home hmm. whether that's at the farm or near the farm you are going that's to cool. stay with their kids have you done that yeah oh yeah um awesome. you are going to eat at their dinner table like it's still big business it's a lot of dollars involved but the the hospitality is on a different gear and the context of that relationship is radically different too. So we like that. And then when we pay the owner of the farm, we know what they're getting. We pay them what they ask. We don't have a costing department that says, we know their cost of production over there. That's another thing, by the way, about the fair trade thing that should just drive it really batty from just a secular econ 100 level is you can't just magically pull a number out of a hat and say a buck 26 is the right number. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So how much should a first year mortgage originator make in the year 2000 or 2005 or 2010 or 2020 pick a year what's fair what's yeah. fair so if i say fifty thousand dollars a year and you're like well you have already factored that into what you know about your cost of living your geography you're probably thinking the seattle area and you're like well that doesn't get very far and it sure doesn't get very far if you've got student debt and car payments and supporting uh kids or i mean there's all these other things that you have auto contextualized yeah do you, are you loaded with debt do you you know fifty thousand dollars a year to someone yeah. who's 20 in so that dollar 26 is what honduras to nicaragua to rwanda like that's the same we haven't even gotten to like currency trade yet like we're just talking yeah. about does your farm have automation and do you make 10 million pounds a year or do you make a hundred thousand pounds a year yeah thousand pounds a year is your farm paid off what's your labor structure look like we have not even gone dollars to the costa rican cologne or the the brazilian hay or the nicaraguan cordoba or whatever we haven't even gotten that far yet 
So what's the right amount for a coffee roaster to make? And if I say $75,000 a year, that does different things. <laughs> if you have no, you have a small thing and you're in the middle of Iowa versus if you're a roaster in upper Manhattan and you're making $100,000 a year, you are sleeping in somebody's broom closet. <laughs> so you just yeah. can't, it's, a, it's, it's just fiscally sloppy to go, here's the right number. And now there's no more problems. Like that's their, mm-hmm. here, buy, here, buy my stuff, buy my swag, buy my coffee. Uh, it's fair trade. And that means $1.26. Even if the grower got that, I was having a, a chat in 2007 in Matacalpa, Northern Nicaragua, talking to this farmer and he, we're going on and on. I'm like, Hey, you know, everybody in the U S you know, 15, 18 years ago is very excited about fair trade. Everything in the U S is excited because there's, it's $1.26 a pound. We had chatted for five minutes. He didn't speak English. My Spanish was so bad. I, anyway, so through, we're playing the telephone game because there's this interpreter. Mm-hmm. And the conversation just stopped when he heard $1.26. And I thought he was going to grab his machete. He's like, what are you? He got, he's like, what are you talking about? Last year was a good year. I'm in the fair trade system and I got paid 39 cents a pound. And my 92-year-old grandfather, I escaped, his words, not mine, I escaped from that system, which is another factor people don't think about, um, in small agriculture communities that are way outside of a small town, you know, higher robbery land. Hmm. My 92-year-old grandfather is still stuck in that system. Hmm. What, are, what are we doing wrong? Where's the, what do you mean $1.26? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. And this yeah. is why I rejected that. <clears throat> annual multi-million dollar contract Mm. at age 26 because i'm like this is not i know too much i can't do this with a clean conscience before god Mm. yeah because you're putting you're 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 not just you know just agreeing to do that it would be one thing if you were agreeing to do that to uh you know subjectively slap that price on your coffee but what you're doing is communicating something with their sticker that isn't happening. Yeah, I have no control over what the farmer gets paid. Right. And so is that the can, idea that the dollar twenty-six is that's what ends up in the farmer's hands? Well, again, if you go through you know a whole bunch of pages of fine print in the published documentation from the Fair Trade Org, they'll sooner or later get around to not exactly lying. But that's not what is effectively conveyed to the public and if you're not doing the research and you're watching the news guess what happens when you just watch the news you think you're informed <laughs> like it's just you know it, it's it's a brutal realization that you are responsible once you have light on how things operate or how things are, are true or not you have mm-hmm. a new you have a new gear uh, if you're a believer before the lord you're accountable for what you know Act accordingly. Um, it's like you, you have to, Second Timothy 2.6 says the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share in the harvest or in the crop. Mm. Um, okay, I'm not trying to be an exegetical weirdo like Paul's talking to Timothy about specific context, but it just, if you look throughout the history of the world, throughout agriculture, usually the farmer is the shortest end of the stick. Mm-hmm. Like it's just sure. how it, it's just how it goes. So yeah, I like a I like a system and a model where we can make sure growers are getting paid and that they have a profit motive, a profit incentive to make better coffee because that's a value to us. We our customers get better coffee. 
we know that they're sustainable. There, there is a way to interact with the word sustainable that's not in a flimsy, lip flapping, just sort of like, you know, gooey. Like, oh yeah, sustainable business. Nobody knows what the word means, but everybody uses it. Right. Yeah. 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 It carries so, a lot of connotations. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there's great way and there's tons of great roasters that have great buying practices. We don't have like this little <laughs> corner on we're the truthful coffee company. We're sure. the good guys. There's there's hundreds of roasters in this country that have awesome buying practices. There's big companies that have awesome buying practices. So what do you do? Well. I, I don't have quite a lot enough time to go around and um, take shots at everybody else who's doing stuff weird. You know, it's what I can do is I can tell you what we do and how we do. If you want to listen to me blabber on for half an hour, I can tell you why we do it. I can tell you the, the ups and the downs, the considerations. But it's hard, you know, back to the consumer thing. Like, I get it. It's hard. Like, if I want to buy this bag of coffee, maybe I look it up online and the, their website makes claims. And the grocery store might make a claim and the seals and stamps that are on there may or may not make a claim. And the expose uh, on the news this morning might make a claim. And there, I mean, there's all this stuff and it gets really complicated. And back to my first question, how much time do you have to grocery shop? Can you make a moral yeah. play on every product, on every decision based on some stamp on the banana? Why, why, I mean, it, it gets kind of weird. So but I, I mean, you know, I'm, I get it for the consumer. They're, most people are just trying to make good, many people are trying to make good choices. Um, and I think that back to square one, like if you have no other net, buy the best product that your budget allows for. And if you have good referrals, which is still king, I think, yeah. um, as opposed to <clears throat> marketing claims. Yeah. And have a healthy dose of cynicism. Can't have enough, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll call it there for this week. Um, that's helpful. You know, it's uh, I, I think it it prompts just a little bit more. Yeah. Cynicism, a little bit more research. Just don't necessarily take everything that you hear about those kind of products, especially when there are obvious agendas attached to certain things. Um you know, don't take them on their, on their service. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like you buy people that know me know like I'm a fashion disaster proudly. <laughs> and I think I spend between 50 and $60 a year on clothes. And most of that is like new That's underwear. really impressive, Phil. Every six months at Costco. I mean, now I don't know. Yeah. I can go and buy my every six months new underwear and socks at Costco or a new pair of jeans or whatever for $14. I don't know if that's slave labor or not. I don't. I might yeah. be a different decision if I knew authentically. But sure. this is back to trusting. This is on the yeah. business side. This is back to brand. And this is why we say at Luso, like there's only two things that we really do under that roof. Build trust, build maintain trust, trust. And maintain it. I'm remembering it at this point. Awesome. I mean um, it's like so make sure your brand like Warren Buffett during the Salomon brothers scandal in what was that 1990-91 and he goes and he takes over, you know, um, temporarily go back watch the youtube footage and read all about it it's just good to know about um at the end of it all he said like well, this is the directive to employees um if you lose money for the firm i will be understanding this is a rough transition this is you know all this stuff is going on if you lose money for the firm i'll be understanding if you cost this firm a shred an ounce of reputation i will be ruthless mm. that is good wisdom 
Mm. If people make yeah. mistakes, if somebody is roasting coffee at Luso and they botch a batch and there goes $400, $500, okay, that's not ideal. But people make mistakes. I make mistakes. I'm sure I make lots of mistakes every day. You can be understanding for those things. But like if you do things that cost the reputation and integrity, there's no there's no real good recovery from that. You can't credit card your way out of that situation. Yeah. Yeah, you can't take a loan on on reputation. I mean, when, um, when the, the brand is laid down, it's kind of permanent. <laughs> yeah. You know? Or yeah, and it's, I think to your point, it's not about, it's not about the actual, the actual weight of the moral decision. It's not about not caring about where your dollar goes, who it's supporting. Sure. Um, yeah, it's just about, uh, to your point, you know, Proverbs, Proverbs talks about not believing everything you hear as well. And uh, it's, it's a healthy, yeah, wise cynicism. Um, and there's probably, it's not just forget every label and don't pay attention to anything. There's probably some, some obligation on you to figure out where your dollar is going to some extent. Um, but yeah, just not, not buying everything on its surface, I think is a helpful reminder. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's in the flavor of, I don't know, pay attention. Like you'll, you get different amounts of information about different companies, products, brands, information about industries, trends. I mean, like you, just pay attention and like you're responsible for what you know. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Helpful summary. Awesome. Well, thanks for help. We'll call it there. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Work Is Good. If you enjoyed it, share it with someone else, leave a review, and listen next week.